it comes down to giving other human future generations a chance. Like we just had a son last year, but before that I was just thinking like, I've enjoyed such a beautiful earth and able to see so many cool things. I really want future generations to do that too, be able to experience that too. And the way we're living, we're takers and not leavers. So we're, we're not leaving the world in a better place than we found it. And I'm a Christian too. So kind of treating other people the way I want to be treated, both people that are here now and people in the future. Like I want them to have what I've had. So I want, I want to treat them with respect in terms of, so I, the way to do that is to treat the environment with respect. So Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. I've had a lot of athletes on as podcast guests. There's Brian Brayman and Marquise Flowers who played against each other in the Super Bowl. There's Don Riley, who won the America's Cup and then introduced me to Anna Tobias, who won an Olympic gold medal in the CrossFit Games, and Dee Kafari and Katie Pettibone, who are world-class sailors. There's Tanner Gers, an old friend who is a beat baseball player. And now today I bring you Brent Suter from the Milwaukee Brewers. So he's a major league pitcher. And you'll hear that he also does a lot of environmental things on his own because he wants to. Now, major league athlete doesn't have to do environmental stuff. He's, he can live whatever life he wants. But as you'll hear, it's something that matters to him. Now, I couldn't help because I like fitness and I like sports and I like athletics. So I asked him a bunch of stuff about what's it like to work your way up from the minors? What's it like to be on the mound in front of all those players? What's the ratio between strength versus the mental aspect of it? You'll also hear this is really genuine stuff that is coming from inside. You'll hear how he, he's in not your bastion of tree huggers and he's doing things to conserve, to reduce the amount of waste and things like that. Well, I'll let him share it with you, but I bring you Brent Suter, Major League Pitcher with the Milwaukee Brewers. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Brent Suter. Brent, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. And just before we started hitting record, I started saying the questions that I really want to ask you, uh, which are like what it's like to be on the mound what it's like to struggle to get out of the minor leagues. And before that, I guess, can you say a few words about yourself? I met you through Tia, a past guest on this podcast. I'm curious how you know her. I guess you're big in Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, she's in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. So what do you do and how did you come to know Tia as an environmental person? Yeah, I play baseball for the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm a pitcher there. Um, I've been with them since 2012, since I got drafted. Um, originally from Cincinnati, Ohio wasn't born there. I was born in Chicago, moved all over the country for my first eight years of life. But then we settled here and uh, really started getting in the environment. Uh, and early in high school, I watched uh, An Inconvenient Truth and some other environmental documentaries and really opened my eyes to the problems that we're, we have and are going to have if we continue to live how we do. So from then on, it kind of became my mission, that my passion in life to help that cause. And so I studied environmental science and public policy in college, ended up loving it. Uh, trying to do 
kind of blend my platform as baseball as and, and spreading some environmental messaging and living out what I'm spreading a little bit. So just trying to help the cause. And really, uh, I see this as this next decade, I'm sure you do too, as a make or break point in terms of how we're, you know, how we treat our environment for the rest of uh, society and how, what kind of environment we have for our kids and grandkids. Now I've made it difficult. I can't decide whether I want to go in the environment direction or the baseball direction. I'm going to go in baseball direction. Sure. <laughs> uh, what's the biggest crowd you've been in front of? What's it like to be on the mound in front of so many people? Do you get asked that a lot? Do you get asked yeah. that all the time? Yeah. <laughs> My debut was probably one of the biggest crowds. I think maybe the biggest number crowd uh, was uh, pitching in front of Yankee Stadium. They can pull about a little over 50,000. So right around there, I've had been right around 50,000 a bunch of times uh, pitching, but that that started against Yankees might've been my, my biggest crowd that I've pitched against in front of, but yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you try to make it as much of a game and focus on the pitches as possible, but sometimes you kind of look up you, all you can just <laughs> see is people is people. So like, sometimes you just got to pinch yourself. It's, it's really cool. If you're having a bad day mentally or out on the mound. It can be, uh, exacerbated like the, in the negative a little bit. Cause the noise kind of, if you let it get to you, it can really get the games, uh, spin out of control and get the game speeding up. But, you're able to kind of keep it where it is and just focus on this pitch or, uh, you know, this, this at bat, it's, it can be a lot better. I feel like for the pitcher, it's a much more mental game than for the average, most other sports, but also in baseball. And I feel like, is there a mix of training? I guess there must be outright strength. There must be placement and finesse and, and touch or something. And then there must be just this mental thing of going out yeah, absolutely. I'm always holding the baseball during the season, trying to get that feel for it. Always going through kind of mechanics every day and going strength training, making sure I'm staying on top of my core strength, leg strength particularly, but also my arm care, like keep my shoulders strong and all that. But also every day I go through uh, what I call this like hyper sensual or hyper sensitive uh, visualization where I just kind of, I get on the mound with my glove, my cleats on and a ball in hand. And I just stand there and I visualize me executing a pitch. So say I'm going glove side fastball. I'll just see that pitch being executed over and over again. And then I'll go through my mechanics and, and go through it real quick, do that a couple more times. And I'll do that with every pitch and every location that I, I think I'm going to be throwing that night. And I just, I rep it out for five to 10 minutes. And by the end, I'm just kind of like, I have this aggression about, about it. And I, you know, just this hardness of eyes, this focus, and I'm able to lock in that much quicker during the game. So it's kind of like this, this mental dry reps, if you will, and just like this mental conditioning for me that gets me uh, really excited to get on the mound and um, excited to execute pitches. So I do that. I try to do that every single day during the season. And I'll start doing it here probably next month in the offseason, just trying to get that, that brain awake and that, you know, that visualization translating into uh, execution of pitches going. This is so awesome. <laughs> to hear. <laughs> I've been using an analogy a lot of, of when you pitch, if I'm right, you're the first pitcher I've spoken to that, are you throwing with every ounce of your being? Like, I guess maybe not every pitch is a, is a fastball, but I figure you must throw as hard as you possibly can and you have to get the aim as perfect as possible. This must be the limits of what humans can do in this area. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys throw harder than me. I'm definitely the bottom, probably five, 10% of velocity thrown in the league, but I, that doesn't mean I'm not trying out there. Like I'm trying to throw I probably like that 90% effort is what they call like the the golden zone where you're in really good effort uh really good conviction but you're also not like just throwing it like crazy and it can go into the backstop or whatever you're trying you're doing a good job of executing pitches too so that staying around that 90% effort where it's 
it's really good effort, but it's, it's not out of control. Effort is uh, usually where I want to be. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of guys might be around that effort zone, but certainly other guys I've seen are like, or like 95 to hundred uh, percent every pitch, but I leave it all out there. So, I mean, that 90% with the mental conviction, with the, you know, the focus and with the strategy going into it, I'm definitely wiped after games. You know I mean? It's, it's a lot of energy output and um, that's why you got to train hard in off season, train hard during the season so that you can withstand the physical and mental uh, wear and tear. And so that tells me that you had to build up to that when you're in college, you probably weren't able to give as much as you give now. Yeah. I mean, just sheer time wise, you know, having classes and all that. And I was only really starting once a week in college. So there was kind of less of a five day cycle and more of a seven day cycle going on, uh, like pretty much six or seven days to recover in between starts. So it definitely was different, uh, physically and mentally too, you know, not quite up. My career wasn't depending on it like it is now on the, uh, how the games go, but it was certainly there was still pressure. I mean, I wanted to get I knew I wanted to get drafted if it, that was, uh, or I wanted to play pro ball. So there was that kind of pressure going in every start in college, but certainly I've gotten better since then. And I've gotten better at knowing what I need to strengthen and what, uh, listen to my body and, um, executing pitches and getting movement on pitches and locating pitches. So definitely gotten better since college, but that's definitely an attribute to, or a lot of credit to the staff that I've had around and the teammates that have helped guide, guide me, but also just being able to focus on it. Like, it's, it's my job so I can focus on pretty much uh, all my free time. I'm curious about the mental side of things, partly because when you're doing stuff environmental, everyone is like, what's the point? And it feels like this swimming upstream and no one believes in, in what we're doing. And, and that's why I feel like the, this mental side of things is like you, it must be like really difficult. And I'm, I'm thinking of like, you don't start in the majors, you start in the minors and then you have to battle your way out and, everyone's kind of is everyone kind of clawing for it and you don't really have a hope but then you make it and I feel like that's that kind of everyone in the majors had to go through that and they're all in the majors and I I feel like that makes you a role model for me and all of you guys because you struggle against uphill odds and everyone who's like what's the point I'm like what's the point for them and now right. look, they're in the, they're 50,000 people and <laughs> watching them and yeah. in, in, like he's not watching them they're watching him I like uh, they'd wow. rather be yeah, him I never really I never thought about that analogy, but that's, I mean, that's really good. I, I was a 31st round pick, you know, 965th guy drafted my year. And I think the odds for me to make it history of 31st rounders was less than 1% uh, to make to the big league. So certainly I can uh, agree with that against odds or like, where's the initial or like, where's the probability of the fruit or the the end goal here, kind of like environmentalism where, you know, it will really take a systemic change, but all we can do now is, ask for the policy, ask for the policy change and live, live out what we want to see in our own lives. And so, yeah, I was, I was low round pick, but I, fortunately with the Brewers, I got a good chance. Every level I went to, I was given a good chance to succeed and um, a good chance and opportunity to play. And, and I was just kind of able to kind of advance through the levels, uh, keep my head above water with the numbers and all that. And soon enough, I was getting called up to the big leagues. It was crazy. So uh, yeah, you just got to, Got to keep your nose to the grindstone, as I like to say. <laughs> and were there times when you felt like there's no hope, or what was it like when you were far from making it? Yeah, there were a couple moments. Certainly, my second start in pro ball uh, in rookie ball in Helen, Montana, I got really hit hard. I uh, gave up like six or seven runs in less than two innings, and 
my coaches were coming up to me saying like, dude, what do you got? You gotta be better than that. Like, why'd they draft you? Kind of <laughs> all this stuff. And then, um, you know, I felt some like, whoa, I might be in the wrong line of work, but I was able to just kind of flip the switch. My pitching coach taught me a new grip on the curveball, which really helped. I was able to just kind of work my way back into the trust of the coaches and then eventually got called up to low A at the end of that year and helped them win a league championship. And then got my instructs and the ball kind of just rolled from there. But And then there was another moment in 2015. I was a starter in 2014 in double A the year before and had a decent year and guys who had similar years to me were advancing to triple A, but I had kind of been demoted off the starting rotation into the kind of a bullpen swingman role. And I was kind of losing hope. I thought they were kind of forgetting about me, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise because I was able to do both go back and forth in the rotation and bullpen. And that's one of the attributes that helped me uh, get to the big leagues. And I still do that kind of role in the big leagues. So, uh, it was it was one of those blessings in disguise for sure. So, but yeah, it's some of those moments that were lows. You know, you just like you start doubting, you start getting your resume, <laughs> the dust off the resume, and say, where am I going to work, kind of thing. But uh, luckily, it it all it all worked out and was all going in uh, a good direction. It's really cool here. I want to keep asking. I, all right, so let's let's talk environment because you have done things. I, I want to hear what you've done, and then I want to hear are there others like you in. Major League Baseball, but also other sports. Yeah, so really the whole time in minor league ball, I've I've tried to encourage teammates to reduce waste, to take shorter showers, what have you. So I, I bring a Tupperware everywhere I go on the road, like a reusable Tupperware, instead of using like the plastic and styrofoam plates and knives and forks that they have on the road. Doing that, using a reusable water bottle. So just these like little subtle hints that like I'm trying to conserve waste, kind of plant the seeds in my teammates of hope, and then. This year, I went more public with it. Launched, uh, we launched a campaign called Strikeout Waste, where I got everyone who promised to use their bottle as much as they could a, re- a free reusable bottle. On the team or in the fa- in the sense too? Uh, team and coaches and some media and some uh, front office. So basically, in the organization, but I wanted fans to do it too. I just didn't have the capability to give everyone fans. I ended up handing some extras out to fans every now and then, but didn't have enough marketing power or whatever to get all the bottles for all the fans but hopefully i mean maybe one day we can do a free bottle giveaway or something like that we were thinking about last year but anyways uh kind of a lot of teammates took it and run with it saved a lot of waste i think we halved our plastic bottle waste in spring training and within a couple weeks so that was that was a good sign then i went to new york and did some media interviews for earth day and do that but then i just got back from a trip in the dominican republic a little beach cleanup with Players of the Planet, an organization I'm involved with, and i involved with an organization up in Milwaukee called Urban Ecology Center, do some fundraising and visits with them and field trips where they've taken this like industrial wasteland and converted it into vibrant green space with like native plants and flowers and trees. So they take urban youth that don't really have access to nature to these sites and really get them introduced to nature. So I'm all about that program, all about a bunch of different programs like that. We do just individually, my wife and I do a lot of composting. We have solar panels. We drive an electric car. We try to do all these all these things. I eat less meat. We we don't even eat red meat anymore. We try to limit our meat to just like organic chicken every now and then. But we're really flexitarians now. So just look like things where we're trying to build uh, the awareness, try to s- spread some seeds, and uh, hopefully more to come in the future. I, I definitely want to launch more campaigns in the future. You sound like... I want to say to you what people keep saying to me, like I was just on a, if you don't mind my sharing, I was on a podcast, someone else's podcast yesterday. I was at Google and Google invited me to speak on um, 
environmental, starting a podcast on the environment. And some guy in the audience, I didn't know this until he interviewed me. His podcast has like MAGA in it, Make America Great Again somewhere. And like most people on the environment are not politically to the right. And he is. So apparently when he didn't, he knew it was about talking about podcasting, but he didn't know it was going to be about the environment. And he said to me yesterday or whenever, maybe it was two days ago, he said, when I heard it was about environmental podcast, he was like, oh no, what have I got myself into? But I'm not about, I'm not trying to make people feel guilty. I'm not trying to tell people what to do. I think that if people, to me, leadership is about helping people do what they wanted to do, but haven't figured out how. And so I'm going to support people to do what they want to do. And this caught him off guard. Because he's like, oh, I like what this guy's saying. He's making it approachable and inviting. And so many people act like it's a burden. It's a chore. Like, you're going to die if you don't do it. And you also sound like you're having fun with it. Like, it's not like you're, am I right that like you did one thing and that led to another and led to another and you just kept going? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, the last thing people want to do, whether it's politics, religion, environment is get beat down with the guilty stick, with mm-hmm. the hopeless stick, you know what I mean? Um, so you want to get people motivated by, and do you got to walk the walk too, which is really important, but you want to get people motivated to just do good and have maybe some benefit to themselves too. You know, like it was a free water ball I was handing out. I was trying to make it like mutually beneficial in a two-way street and all that. And uh, you got to, I feel like uh, just the positive, having fun with it, but also making some progress is the way to go. But I mean, certainly it didn't do enough. I mean, it's, it's a step, but in far, in terms of how, yeah, how much we need to go, we need to go a lot further. <laughs> okay. So, but it was just a start of an awareness uh, that I hope spreads and that people can kind of just take a look at their lives. A lot of people that really changed were ones that really took a step back and said, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize how much plastic I was just wasting when I could have just done a reused water bottle or how much plastic knives or styrofoam I was using when I didn't have to be so and then that that spawned an action change for them so that was what I saw as the best result for people was just like a serious thoughtful not self-condemning but just like a thoughtful reflection and saying hey you know I want to change this it sounds like you're also seeing an effect that I'm seeing which is that before people act they're full of excuses and they're full of like oh that's like little things they think are too small and big things they think are too much work. But I find that when they actually do something, a couple of things happen. One is that they start feeling like, huh, how would I do that? And oftentimes one of the big switches is that people, at first they think people are going to be a pain. That like, oh, if I do this, someone's going to get annoyed at me or my wife's going to get annoyed or something like that. But then when they actually make the switch, they bring that person, it becomes a community or group effort and it creates community. Yeah. It sounds like you and your wife are a team on this one. Yes. Uh, yeah. And how has it affected relationships with your teammates, with your coaches, with the fans? It's really been great. I think I could count on one hand how many guys were kind of like annoyed by it just for a little bit, but then they ended up like just kind of going with it saying, Hey, you know what I mean? Like, why not? <laughs> uh, but everybody, I mean, I hardly got any no's when I was just going up to people saying, Hey, you want a free water bottle to do this? Like a lot of guys were really receptive to it coaches were awesome our manager was one of the best that craig council was awesome at changing his behavior and going reusable water bottles he's he's pretty environmentally conscious guy as well so that was awesome but yeah just a couple kind of annoyance but um everybody else was positive and uh with the fans it was awesome fans were super receptive of it family friends i know were really uh really positively changed by the campaign all that stuff so 
it was uh it was great success with the, the family and friends and family and friends did anyone surprise you with going the extra yard and like taking on new things that you didn't even talk to them about yes yes uh one of my teammates brandon woodruff he actually sent us uh stasher bags or like took a picture of the stasher bags the reusable ziploc bags and we hadn't heard of the brand we were trying some other reusable brands but these are unreal so uh, just a quick little plug to Stasher, but they uh, reuse them for my son's food now and saved all that waste with the uh, plastic bags, which is awesome. And he's doing reusable straws and he got a great reusable straws that I'm asking for for Christmas and all that stuff. So he's really gone above and beyond. And a couple of other guys too have done great things. Another teammate, Jimmy Nelson, got like a huge jug, which a huge water jug, which instead of the 20 ounce bottle, you know, takes less to less refills throughout the day. And so I was doing that for a little bit got got a jug for a little bit so i love that this major league baseball having tupperware parties i'm I'm totally saying it all wrong here but <laughs> to make it funny you have tupperware parties and when you said replacing the, the plates i was like i'm picturing you taking home plate and putting a tupperware thing there and be like this is more reusable yeah <laughs> not that plate and i'm gonna get in trouble for this but uh the change in major leagues that that they're saying when the players are talking about nice jugs you're talking about actual reusable water bottles. Right. <laughs> Has that bottles. joke been made before? I guess. <laughs> I don't remember saying it to him or hearing it, but uh, <laughs> we were just, uh, yeah, it was all about the water bottle jugs, just water bottles. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it sounds like some, there's some bonding going on. It sounds like, it sounds like to me, like there was, this is like, um, you know, like rock candy, you heat the water and to, and you cool it off so that the sugar is like, it's, it's um, super saturated and it's like ready to crystallize. And all yeah. it needs is something to go in there to crystallize on. And it feels to me like if that's the case in like a hyper competitive, hyper, I guess, hyper masculine area as like major league sports, it's got to be that way in a lot of other places. And people are just people. I think people are craving and waiting leadership. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think, like you said, it just needs that one ingredient or that one spark or one leader, or one kind of mutually beneficial invention or change to happen to have uh have everything gel together and get that synergy going but yeah it happened in our clubhouse for sure i mean some people that definitely wasn't 100 percent lasting throughout the year i don't want to make it sound like it's something it wasn't a lot of people faded down the stretch or faded after a couple of weeks of uh went back to their old habits just because they couldn't change their habits enough but a lot of people didn't and stayed with it so yeah well you turn the the rudder on a tanker it takes a while to turn are you in touch or do you know about things going on in, in other sports or other teams? In terms of limiting waste, I've heard of a lot of guys. Uh, there's an organization called the Water Boys with the uh, NFL that do great work with helping other countries and uh, other areas with wet water, like fresh water, mm-hmm. and doing a good job with that. And uh, Malcolm Brogdon does some awesome stuff with wells in Africa and all that. Um, so I've heard of, of some things, but in terms of... Uh, environmental policy there's a i think uh keep our winners strong or keep our winners long in the winter olympics or winter sports mm-hmm. athletes do a really good job with their organization and lobbying the congress and um doing some really good activism activation work and um activism so i think it's keep keep our winners is the organization with uh winter sports but that that's an awesome organization too so there's there's definitely some other stuff going on but there, need, there can be more, and I think there will be more as environment becomes more on people's the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, I guess that's a cycle because that will also put it more in people's minds. So it's going to build and build and build. So all the athletes, out, all the athletes out there, 
better get acting soon before you're just one of the crowd. Right, right. <laughs> Actually, I did a podcast, was it yesterday? No, two days ago on, you know, what got me started, if you don't mind my sharing again, what got me started doing this podcast was I felt like there was a lack of leadership in the area of the environment. You know, I'm a fan of, of science. I'm a fan of research and, and education and legislation. Uh, if it's passed by popular support, by democratic processes. I felt like, but telling people what to do and spreading facts isn't the same as leadership. And I felt there's a missing Mandela of the environment. And recently it hit me, I'm trying to get very well-known people so that they can be, I mean, you're better known than I am. You have a bigger platform than I do so far. I'm working on it. Like Oprah, like she's pretty big. I'd like to get her doing things like you're doing, even if it's not organizing others, just acting so that other people can say, ah, this is normal now. The normal thing is to act, not to wait and see. And the more I thought about it, I thought, oh, I want to make Oprah or LeBron or Serena or whatever, the, the Mandela's of the environment. But then I realized there's another figure who is a great figure who became way greater than anyone, like one of the top figures of the 20th century by acting on his values. Muhammad Ali comes to mind as someone who, you know, Vietnam, when he decided to be a conscientious objector, mm-hmm. no one had spoken against it. And by speaking against it, even though he was not able to compete at the, he wasn't able to compete at the peak of his career. Right. I think that while he might've had a few more wins in the win loss record, he would not have become Muhammad Ali. I mean, he would have been the greatest boxer, but not the next level. And I think people are poised to welcome an environmental Ali. I think, I mean, I think one's emergent. Greta Thunberg was just named time person of the year. I think, She's really inspirational. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some other, like Leonardo DiCaprio does some big time work and, uh, some other people have stepped up, but I, I've just really, I've learned a lot from just listening to Greta Thunberg. She's really, really something, something special. So I think hopefully she's, uh, she's one of the leaders of the movement, but it needs, it needs to be many leaders, many, many leaders. Yeah. And also people who she became big because of this, there are people who are already very well known. And their voices are just as as big as she's become. Yeah, there are people who are way way bigger, and I right. think for them, it'll be easier for them because all they have to do is do probably what they've something that will bring about more clean air, clean water, clean land. Yeah, and I think their effect will be greater. I I hope to help precipitate that. That's what I'm working on. So, what motivates you? What's when you think about the environment? What you don't have to do this. You could you got a good life without it. Yeah really it comes down to giving other human like future generations a chance like we just had a son last year and that's just yeah, you know, hygiene even more and more but yeah thank you but before that i was just thinking like man i've i've enjoyed such a beautiful earth like been able to see so many cool things and i really want future generations to do that too uh be able to experience that too and the way we're living we're takers and not leavers so we're you know we're not leaving as much as we're not leaving the world in a better place than we found it. And I'm a Christian too. So kind of treating other people the way I want to be treated, both people that are here now and people in the future, like I want them to have what I've had. So I want, I want to treat them um, with respect in terms of, so I, the way to do that is to treat the environment with respect. So I really think, and I've always been confused why the, a lot of Christians aren't really vocal environmentalists. I hope that's kind of changing now, but it seems like a lot of times, uh, Christians tend to be like either apathetic or kind of like on the other end, but I really would encourage people who are Christians to think about 
how, how direct the environment is on human beings in the future and on, and now. So, um, yeah, that's another thing that really motivates me big time. I heard a sentiment like that. I've, I've had a couple of colonels from West Point on the, on the podcast and stewardship was very important to them. And it was coming from a similar place. And I think they also were like, why would you think? Cause it was also natural to them that the military is about protecting. And mm-hmm. so it was natural for them, even though it hasn't yet filtered out to the mainstream military, mainstream Christianity yeah. yet. When you talked about the beauty of the earth, it felt like you were not talking about general beauty. I, I picked up that you were talking about something in particular, like are there images that come to mind or things, experiences that you've had that motivate you? Yeah. I mean, when a lot of times when I go back in my memory bank, um, I think back to going to the lake, uh, Lake Cumberland down in Kentucky with my grandma and grandpa and he grew his own garden there. And like the woods where I just remember the woods being so beautiful and full of life and growing our own garden and seeing all the butterflies and bumblebees and everything. And I mean, I'm just, I'm already seeing there's such a decline. I haven't seen that many bumblebees around lately. I haven't seen as many butterflies just thinking back to those garden days and now. And so just kind of those memories and just how that much that enriched my childhood. And I, you know, I really want to grow food and grow plants with uh, Liam and I want him to do the same with his kids and him, him do the same with the, uh, that kid to do the same with her, their kids. So it's one of those things that, that that's one definitely that, comes to mind um in other vacations that we went to i remember going to the rockies when i was younger going whitewater raft when i was younger just seeing the the beauty of uh the natural world and really wanted it to be preserved yeah that's really touching I, I have to say that i i really appreciate to the most to most people like a picture is something someone you see on the screen larger than life and to talk about bumblebees and to talk about butterflies is like right. i mean we know that the people on the screen are human but there's a humanity that that's uh, humility, I think, that's coming through, a vulnerability, I guess, that uh, I appreciate. Oh. And yeah, and it also reminds me of a couple of books I've read recently. This is one, The Once in Future Earth, that talks about the amount of nature before us. And not even, I don't mean before like humans, I mean before a few generations ago. Yeah. That what, what I thought of as nature growing up was nothing compared to what it was before. Right. Like before. Uh, steamboats, when it was sailboats going across the Atlantic, the boats would get stopped in the middle of the ocean because the schools of fish were so dense mm. that the boats would just get stopped in the water. And they would see whales as far as I could see the entire day. Like, not like a whale sighting. It was like, right. and that changed me from wanting not just to conserve, but to re, I guess now there's this term re- rewilding and to try to get back to that. I, I really yeah. like, it's not just, I want to save something. I want to really get back to it. And yeah, a hundred percent. I agree. I think about that a lot and what this land looked like. Yeah. A couple, like you said, a couple of generations ago, a couple hundred years ago. And it, I just read something about the effect of when a scientist or someone who's cataloging nature gets to the spot, like that's their point of reference for that, that ecosystem. And then they see the decline after that. And so what we've been in is like a pattern of scientists seeing a declined system already and then seeing it further decline, but thinking, oh, that's where we used to be. But where it really used to be was just so much, almost incomprehensibly more productive yeah. than it is now. Yeah, that's something I think about too is just, and like you said, if we can get back to, and that we can still do it. There's still, I mean, the species diversity, we're still there. There's just species clinging on for dear life, no pun intended. But so we 
definitely can get back there, but we cannot run out of biodiversity before that, before we do it. And so we, it needs to be, it needs to be soon. And I was just watching, I don't know if you've seen the movie, uh, biggest little farm or not. So that this couple moves out and starts on farm. And, um, when they got kicked out of their apartments because their dog wouldn't stop barking. And so they went out there, got some investors and this land was arid, dried, uh, dead. And they just started focusing on the soil, started uh, composting soil and using worms. And then uh, eventually, you know, other th- other system products like uh, cow manure and whatnot to just gener- regenerate soil, get this whole compost system going. And now their farm is one of the most productive in the country. They just basically are old school farming in terms of they're using the wildlife around them and the whole system to be able to self-preserve and uh, soak up water. They use cover crops. They use, uh, they've invited basically predators to come in and help with their gopher populations and the, and all that. So it, it just kind of really inspired me. And I want to be a part of that movement to reawaken this process that's billions of year, years old of starting from the ground up, getting microorganisms in the soil and just kind of building from there and watching the system just develop on its own. So it's, it's something that fires me up and I want to be a part of it. You know? Oh man, that's, yeah. Well, can you say the name of the movie again? Uh, the Biggest Little Farm. And is it like a, a documentary on, on online or in the theaters? I don't know if I'll it came out. out in theaters. It, it was out this year, I believe. I think it came out this year, but um, I just bought it on iTunes. I couldn't find it streaming uh, for free anywhere, so I just bought it on iTunes and watched it. It was really good. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, what you're talking about resonates with, you know, food has been a big thing, my catalyst. And I've met the farmers and I go up to the farm all the time, to, well, once a year, to meet them and see the land and, and see, I used to say, like I'd look out and see like a, a field of broccoli or chard. And I think, oh, I'm going to eat that. One of those I'm going to eat. And then I realized one of those is actually going to become me. Yeah. It's, it, it was a really deeper sense that, and yeah. of course, if that's going to be the case, I don't want them like spreading all this artificial fertilizer on it. And I want them, I want the good stuff. Right. I know we buy only, only organic anymore. You know what I mean? We just, especially with having a son, but also it made us take a look at our health too. And like, we do not want to ingest these chemicals. We don't know what the heck they're going to do to us. It's only been around for however many years, a couple of decades, these crazy fertilizers and, and seeds and all that. So we, we go, like you said, we try to go with the good stuff and feel a lot better. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. So based on what you said about the farm, your grandparents in Kentucky and up in the Rockies and seeing it disappear, I invite you at your option. So you don't have to do this if you don't want, but if you're up for it, to do something that you're not already doing, you're doing plenty, and uh, it doesn't have to fix all the world's problems. It's just to act on what you were talking about. And a couple constraints, it, it can't be something you're already doing. It can't be telling someone else what to do. It has to be you doing it with your hands. And it has to have some physical effect, so not just education or awareness. And most people are, I see, let the record show, you're kind of nodding. Looks like you're being like, hmm, that, that sounds like a challenge. It sometimes takes a little back and forth to come up with something, but are you up for it? Yeah. Oh yeah. And 
Does anything come to mind right away? Tree planting is what comes to mind. I haven't, I've been paying to plant trees, but I haven't been actually planting trees lately. So like even in my backyard, I could just, uh, well, the really the peak, one of the peak times to plant the season might've been a couple weeks ago, but plant trees, but just trying to plant something out there that could be productive, but also trying to, I've been, this program has been on my heart through players of the plan to try to get this uh, kind of revival of unused lands, which is kind of would it would be similar to what the biggest little farm did in terms of regenerating lands, but having it be more lands for like a, either a community garden or a community like green space where land was before it was arid, but we regenerated it with soil and compost and then uh, got it to be really a great green space and community center. So that's something that's been on my heart that haven't pulled the trigger on yet, but we've been brainstorming around it, but I might, I might be the challenge center. That might be it. I would love to hear this. Actually, it's the only, my stepfather who is really good with his hands. I had, I didn't record this conversation with him, but it was just talking with him and I I invited him at his option to do something. He's planted a pear tree on their, on their, in their backyard, my mom and stepfather's backyard. And I have, well, you can't see it over here. I have a, a fig tree that isn't doing, it needs more sunlight than I can get in my apartment here in Manhattan. And I want to take it out. I'm going to plant it somewhere. And if you do this, then it's going to get me to get on a get on it with this thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, would you be up for sharing what happens when it happens and, and telling us what what the experience was like? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, how long do you think? When do you think you'll do it by to schedule another conversation? Um, that's a really good question. I was we were really planning on launching it, getting the groundwork going, and launching it in spring training when like people's minds are more on baseball and like the momentum of the season. Is, all, and go, is going and all that so that would maybe by like february or march would be a good time to check back but i don't know I'd, I'd love to get it done sooner but i don't know if there's a whole in winter it's not the best time for we could start like an indoor compost pile or some kind of soil i've got a sapling going now yeah i don't know i'm, I'm trying i'm just kind of thinking out loud but probably march would be a good time to check back again see how see how it's going okay so i propose that uh after you hang up i'll put on my calendar if March is when you might do it, then I might check with you late February and okay. see if we can schedule a conversation then. And if it happens that between now and then you're at some like store and you're like, oh, seeds on sale and like you get started earlier, let me know. And then we can have it earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you're looking out, I, I guess you're going to do it in your yard. Is that the deal? Uh, well, that's, that's one step. I, I already planted some milkweed in the soil and it definitely grew. <laughs> it, uh, it definitely did a good job, but no butterflies were there yet. Um, but I'm just kind of brainstorming where I could, where I could plant for now. I do have like a, I bought some seeds uh, a little bit ago. So I, I mean, I could, could really do it sooner rather than later, but I just need to check on what the ideal time to plant each seed is. I'm not for being, I was much as I love the environment. I'm not a great botanist. Like I don't have all the knowledge of cultivating plants and growing plants and all that. So it's not a strength of mine, but I definitely want to learn about it. Yeah. I would say not yet. Cause uh, for me, it's my sister is, she's out in Queens and she's got a yard. And every time I go there, like my cherry tomato plants are from her, my mint is from her. And I don't know where she gets it. I, she's just learning a little bit more, a little bit ahead of me. And I'm just kind of catching up to her. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, Josh, you know, you can just go to the store and buy a tomato anytime you want. I'm like, it tastes better when I grow it myself. But right. more than that, I'm closer to my sister now. It's closer. Like people don't get how much this creates community and connection and family. Yeah connection and also uh connection with your food like 
I've heard when kids grow, the best way to get kids to eat vegetables more is to have them grow it themselves to the point where kids are asking for their grown vegetables as a reward for good behavior. You know what I mean? So it like totally, totally shifts the spectrum like that. So I certainly in the next probably a couple months when my son becomes more, more alert or more uh, aware and I want to get growing uh, plants with him and see how it takes off because his vegetable his desire for vegetables is low right now, I'd say. <laughs> a little low, but uh, occasionally we slip some in. But if we could get him really growing them and, and loving them, that'd be, that'd be awesome. All right. I, would, I have a couple of wrap-up questions. But since you mentioned your son, a lot of people, like I avoid packaged food. So I throw out my garbage very rarely, like once a year. And a lot of people say, and even if they don't say it, they're often thinking it, is oh, you can do that because you don't have any kids. If you had kids, you'd recognize it's impossible to lower the waste. You have a kid and I can't speak from experience. I just have nieces and nephews. Right. How, how, does, how does that sound to you? We found actually when we go to packaged foods more, he doesn't like them as much. Uh, we don't feel as good about it, but we've, I mean, based on the last couple of months, we've switched to more uh, produce driven. And then we just like saute it or uh, puree it or whatever, and make these little reusable packs and stuff like that for if we really need to take it on the go, we don't have time to slice it up or whatever. And it, it prevents a lot of waste. And it's still, uh, it's a lot better. Uh, just it's better for him, better for the whole system. So we've been doing that, which is big, but the part I would agree with them on are diapers. Like we didn't uh, feel comfortable using like towel diapers or reusable diapers. So we've had to use the disposable diapers and I just don't, I don't see a way, a best, better way. If you have, or they, someone listening has a better suggestion for diapers, we'd love to hear it, but we didn't feel comfortable with the reusable uh, or towel diapers. Um, but if, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have experience with that, but one of my other guests, B Johnson, I think she's got two sons, but I think they were out of diapers by the time she started getting into the zero waste stuff. Hmm. But she's found a lot of solutions that uh, I read her book and I was like, oh, there's more waste I can get rid of. And it was really fun to read and get that. Really? Yeah. What's the book she, called? Uh, the Zero Waste Home. I mean, her name is B. Johnson. B-E-A is her first name. And okay. she's got, I think, four TEDx talks, all of them very interesting. Oh, wow. And yeah, she's her family for the whole family, the amount of garbage in a year is like fits in one mason jar. Like that's what she is. Yeah. So people are like, Josh, how do you throw out your garbage less than once a year? I'm like, I have a role model that's well, like I'm just getting started. I'm about to throw out my garbage now because I want to shoot for no emptying my garbage in 2020 or 2021. I want to see if I can go two years. Oh my gosh. Wow. When you're in New York, (laughs) when you're playing, I guess you, I don't know if you play the Yankees or Mets more because there's all this crossover now, but Mets. Okay. So when you're in town, if you want to come over for some of my famous no packaging vegetable stew, you're invited. Oh yeah. And it's uh it's getting famous now. Nice. And um, Thank you. yeah, great. Come on over. I'll be all uh, now now I'll have more reason to check up on I don't follow baseball as much as I used to. Yeah. And my I mean, my peak was when the Phillies made the World Series when I grew up in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Oh wait, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Uh we're talking like Mike Schmidt, Larry Boa, uh Pete Rose. Uh, yeah. So, all right, I'll wrap up with a couple questions. Is there anything I didn't think to ask that's worth uh, bringing up? And is there anything that you want to say directly to the listeners? Um, one thing that's been really on my heart lately too, has been trying to get 
some motive, momentum behind like community compost. You know what I mean? Like having a compost center where, you know, instead of maybe the recycling bin and the garbage bin, have it maybe like the garbage and then a compost bin and have that go to some central community location where it can be just regenerated in the soil. Cause unfortunately we do have a lot of food waste in this country, but there's a way to use that and not have it break down and leak methane in the landfills. Like you can mm-hmm. regenerate those nutrients into, into compost soil and have it be just go right back into the system, right back into the earth. And that'd be really beneficial for topsoil regeneration, which is a big problem. And we're heading down a really bad path with topsoil. So that's one thing that I want to like, if you know, a way to get that campaign going or something, that's, that's something too that I've been really thinking about as a good switch of a, you know, changing the flipping the script where food waste right now is methane leak, but instead getting it to be almost a, a positive and a regeneration. So. Well, I can tell you that in New York, there's the city picks it up and I started a sustainability committee in my building so that my building would join the city's campaign to do it. I have to, now I, it's in my freezer and then uh, my food scraps, I keep in my freezer. And then when they, when that fills up, I take it to the farmer's markets and they pick it up and haul it off. I was just talking to, who was it? I was talking to someone in, um, in Washington, DC, and they took on for their challenge uh, to sign up for composting there. And they, in DC, there's something called compost cab. And they're kind of like, their theme is like a little checker cab thing. And they pick up your compost. And then afterward, they come back and will give you, uh, oh, I'm sorry, they pick up food scraps and they'll give you back compost. So if your yard isn't big enough to really make it work, then you can use them. So, and I looked oh up compost God. cab. I just, I saw that it's, it's a business in DC. And one of the things they said, is, they said, once you start, you'll never go back, which is, it's like oddly satisfying to compost. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's incredibly satisfying. Like it's, it makes me like, I get so excited. My wife is almost like taking it back. Sometimes <laughs> they'll be like cutting stuff up. Like, Oh, that'd be great compost. Great. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like, she's like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Like you, and like we were talking about, you feel a part of the system, you know, you yeah. don't feel, I think a lot of underlying, and this might be going off a tangent here, but a lot of underlying mental health issues that go on in this country and a lot of first world countries probably has something to do with the detachment of nature, yeah. trying to separate from the system, the the life the circular organic system, instead being to identify with our linear system that we have now is in, out, nothing, you know, out uh, with the bad. So I think a lot of, a lot of the problems we have is because we're not in that system and compost makes you feel more in that system. Not all the, like, we're still not all the way, but we're like, we're on the right track, you know, we're getting somewhere. So uh, yeah, that's something that um, it's definitely satisfying. Yeah, it's difficult for me not to go on here because your attitude is is so it's refreshing and it feels it feels like how people keep describing me of like oh you make it fun and it's just engaging and I, I really appreciate you sharing that I, I could go on but I, I propose that we pick up here next time yeah uh, and as as we talk about the the sapling that'll be growing at the time or whatever happens that, with that right right yeah all right well Brent Suter thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. I'm going to tell you something that I hope it doesn't make you feel left out, but I stopped recording too soon. After I stopped recording, he and I kept talking, and we got to talking more about food scraps and composting and farmer's markets and vegetables. He decided while we were talking, he went online and started finding a farmer's market near here, and he's committing also to what he says is a past due 
He's going to find a farmer's market. And it may be that we don't talk again until he plants the tree, but there's a pretty good chance that the next episode is going to be about him going to farmer's markets with his wife. And he's been wanting to do it for a while. So it's, they're in Cincinnati now and it's late, uh, late in the year. So I'm not sure what the farmer's market will have, but I don't mind sharing this because I think there's a pretty good chance that by the time you hear this, he will have already gone to a farmer's market and come back and we'll have a second episode on farmer's markets before the trees. Brent is really into the stuff. It was really fun talking to him. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse. And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.